Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental and social justice stories from Australia and around the world. This show was produced on unceded Bindal, Wagurukaba and Naiwagi land in far north Queensland, with the show broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm Phil Evans, and this is my first Earth Matters show, and I'm humbled to join the team. Australia seems to be preparing for a future war, and this is a scary and unfamiliar prospect for many. We know that war itself is disastrous for people and the planet, but today we want to explore how an arms and militarism build-up can affect the environment and the society in which we live. Today on the show, we'll take a look at the much-talked-about AUKUS pact and some of the effects it will have on Australian environment and society, but we'll do it all from a feminist perspective. Now, in case you missed it, AUKUS is a new three-way defence and militarism pact between Australia, the United Kingdom and the United States of America. Initially, the AUKUS trio planned to build a class of nuclear-propelled submarines to be based out of Australia, but also to work together in the Indo-Pacific region strategically, where, rightly or wrongly, the rise of China is seen as an increasing threat to the established global power structure. They also plan to develop wider military technologies and further military cooperation. To unpack AUKUS, we're going to need some help. So I phoned in a comrade of mine. It's Margaret Reynolds. I'm ringing in from Richmond, Tasmania, Tongaronga country. Margaret was a Queensland senator for the Australian Labor Party from 1983 to 1999, serving as a minister in the government. And this year... She was appointed a Companion of the Order of Australia for eminent service to the people in Australia by the Parliament, to social justice, to gender equity, Indigenous rights, to local government and to the community. Most importantly for today, she knows a thing or two about AUKUS, war and, of course, peace. You see... Margaret is the current Australian president of the Women's International League of Peace and Freedom, one of the oldest peace organisations in the world. Well, look, it's a very old women's organisation and it's perhaps the oldest peace organisation anywhere. It was established in opposition to World War One, which, uh, you know, people today can't even remember much about World War Two and the idea that an organisation started as early as World War One and is still going is quite remarkable. But women from around America and Europe met to oppose the build-up and the increasing likelihood of war. Sadly, they weren't successful. And sadly, over you know more than 100 years in many countries, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom have not prevented war. But at least they're there as a, an ongoing voice for negotiation, for conflict resolution, for diplomacy, for peacekeeping. 
and peace building rather than than uh, always rushing into war. Wilpf, as the Women's International League of Peace and Freedom is affectionately known, strive for what they call feminist peace. War is so often instigated by cisgendered men and unfairly impacts women and children who are not even given a seat at the decision-making table. I asked Margaret what the term feminist peace and peacebuilding meant to her. Feminist peace to me is extending the view that women should be so much more part of the decision-making processes in our society and that if only we had more feminists making decisions around the world, hopefully there would be less resort to, to war. Now, I've never been a feminist who's tried to argue that women are somehow better and and more virtuous than men. That certainly isn't the case. I mean, people come in with all kinds of uh, attributes and prejudices. But I do think that women's traditional experience, and I emphasise traditional experience because fortunately that's changing over time, but I think women's traditional experience has led them to be more likely to be concerned about the impact of war, the impact of hostility, the impact of the use of violence, because they are more likely to have direct experience, not just for them, but, you know, for their whole communities. Whereas men have been traditionally, and again, I acknowledge uh, the many changes that are gradually coming into our communities, which is a very good thing. But traditionally, men and boys have been brought up to be strong and to conquer the world. And how they do it really doesn't matter as long as they show those masculine characteristics of dominance. Now, it's great that we question and reject so much of that these days, but it takes a lot to change the culture. And I think if we sat at the table when mainly men are still deciding whether or not to go to war or to keep trying to resolve conflict, we would be shocked at how much of that old way of thinking is still far too prevalent at the decision-making table. Good morning from Australia. (laughs) I'm very pleased to join two great friends of freedom and of Australia, Prime Minister Johnson and President Biden. Today, we join our nations in a next generation partnership. In 2021, when AUKUS was announced, it seemed to come out of nowhere. Then Prime Minister Scott Morrison was facing re-election and this huge multi-billion dollar defence deal was politically advantageous to that campaign. I am sure that he and a few of his mates sat down one day and said, gosh, what can we do? And one of the things that is always going to win support in Australia 
is any mention of Australians going to war or Australians getting ready for war. I don't know what it is about us. We can't even acknowledge the forgotten war, the war that saw the British take over this country from First Nations peoples. And maybe that's why, in a strange, complex way, we are so reluctant to acknowledge that series of wars and why we are so determined to keep proving ourselves somehow by rushing off to a fight in overseas and other people's wars. Along with the frontier wars and colonisation, the AUKUS Pact also reminds us of another shameful historical reality, the white Australia policy. It is an historic remnant of everything Australia has done wrong uh, since Federation. And of course, we know how the white Australia policy dominated the government established in at Federation. Um, I need to I need to call in Henry for that. Margaret is married to Henry Reynolds, eminent Australian historian with a particular interest in the frontier wars, colonisation and early Australian history. Talk about a power couple. But yes, we're looking backwards instead of looking forwards. It really is incomprehensible that Richard Miles, who is a good deal younger than me, could say as Defence Minister oh, we have to be very careful. You only have to remember World War II to know where our friends are. Well, excuse me, Richard, but you were a mere boy. No, you weren't even thought of in uh, World War II. Uh, I was a baby. But, hey, even I know that so much has happened since World War II. Why would a, why would a modern defence minister talk about World War II. The current Albanese government have done little to review the decision made by the previous government to enter into the AUKUS Pact. In fact, they've progressed the deal along, allocating $368 billion for the nuclear submarine project. But the elephant in the room is that with nuclear tech comes nuclear waste. And Australia has a history of radioactive racism, whether it be through the horrific British nuclear weapons tests or persistent plans that ignore strong traditional owner descent to the dumping of nuclear waste on their lands. Australia has a shameful history with nuclear. That's Sana de Swart from Friends of the Earth speaking at a recent anti-AUKUS rally in Nam, Melbourne, in the Kulin Nation. Federal government has been trying to establish a nuclear waste dump for decades. Every time the traditional owners have been fighting the nuclear waste dams on their land and they have won. This is a huge international project which will be used as an excuse to enforce a nuclear waste dump on traditional owners' land. It's not going to be in Brunswick. It's not going to be in Anthony Albanese's backyard. It's going to be close to where traditional owners, Aboriginal communities live. Since 1997, the Australian Nuclear Free Alliance has brought together Aboriginal people and civil society groups concerned about existing or proposed nuclear developments in Australia, particularly on Aboriginal homelands. In October 2021, the Alliance released a statement expressing concerns how a nuclear submarine program would leave a legacy of many tonnes of low, intermediate and high-level nuclear waste. They expressed concern about the silence from the Australian government about the disposal of that nuclear waste. But when it comes to nuclear waste and what this means, 
The question is, how has the government prepared every government department? You know, it's not just environment and infrastructure that need to look at the impact of this decision. I guess the question we need to ask is, well, who is planning? I mean, either AUKUS is a bad decision, which I certainly think it is, and it should be scrapped, or where's the evidence of how the government is planning to manage the myriad of problems from environmental to social to health to just so many. I mean, the impact on Indigenous communities. You know, we're about to vote in the next few months on The Voice because we we say and the government says it's important to listen to Aboriginal people. But they changed their mind very quickly. And uh, I think it was Linda Burney who answered a question in the Senate and said, oh, no, it won't have anything anything to do with defence policy. Oh, no, we wouldn't be consulting the voice about defence policy. This just undermines the whole reason for the voice. I mean, I'm, I'm a supporter, of course, but, you know, we can't be surprised if people say, well, hang on. If we're giving people a voice, you can't then in the next breath say, well, only if they say what we want them to. I mean, if you're genuine about the voice, you want to hear their views. And many Indigenous communities are very disturbed, particularly those who who have some, if not memory, but certainly knowledge of the devastation of the British tests in the in the 1950s. And so I guess quite apart from being ideologically opposed to such a far-reaching defence policy, I'm just appalled at the lack of good governance. AUKUS, racist, colonial and a public policy disaster. You're on Earth Matters with Phil Evans. And today on the show, we're having a look at the controversial AUKUS Pact. And taking us along the ride is Margaret Reynolds, who is the current president of the Women's International League of Peace and Freedom. This is the place the revolution starts. This is the place the revolution starts. Right here, right now, right here, right now. This is the place the revolution starts. Right here, in the human heart. If you've missed any part of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters, all as one word, or if you're listening via iTunes or any other podcasting service, why not rate us and leave a review? Help us spread the word. men who get very excited. I mean, they get incredibly excited and boyish about anything to do with weapons and machinery. I mean, former ministers, I can remember getting very excited, defence ministers, 
because they were going to inspect a tank. Now, I I don't like to stereotype women, but most women, and indeed many sensible men, you know, it wouldn't be on number one on their bucket list to go and sit in a tank uh, and have their photo taken. And those toys for boys are serious and quite scary. In March 2023, AUKUS leaders unveiled the details for three to five Virginia-class nuclear submarines to be sold to Australia and the sharing of nuclear propulsion technology for future Australian-built submarines. And this sets a concerning precedent, with the AUKUS deal being the first time a provision from the 1968 Non-Nuclear Proliferation Treaty has been used to transfer nuclear technology from a nuclear weapon state to a non-nuclear weapon state. Now, it would have been fairly easy to persuade the Americans and the British that this should be done, because they're the beneficiaries. They're being paid to construct our nuclear submarines because we've been convinced, for reasons we can't understand, that there's some unknown threat out there that we need to prepare for. But in actual fact, it's all about America and Britain getting someone else involved, just as at the moment they're using Ukraine in the same way. Ukraine is being used as the stalking horse against the Russians, and Australia is about to be used in the same way, unless we can stop it, as the stalking horse for the Americans and British against China. And we have to pay for a few submarines that we don't need, that are not flexible in how they operate. And it's just going to make Australia more of a target than it already is. AUKUS represents a huge opportunity cost for Australia. The $368 billion allocated over several years could be well spent in other areas. For example, according to an article on Wilp's website, for $48 billion, the Australian government could increase rent assistance by 30% pay early childhood educators 20% more and raise carer payments to $88 per day. Alarmingly, a 2022 report by Transnational Institute found that wealthy nations, including Australia, spend 30 times more on their militaries than they do on climate action. This is despite many militaries around the world including the Australian Defence Force in the most recent White Papers, declaring that climate change represented a security threat and was a source of global instability. I asked Margaret about alternative ways that she would like to see the money spent and also alternatives to AUKUS itself. I would want to get a very independent review of what kind of defence capacity Australia needs. Because from my perspective, I'd probably say, nah, don't need it, let's not bother. But I'm also a realist, and so I'd think, well, you know, we need something, perhaps, and what should it be? So that would be the first thing. But I certainly would want to focus on Australia being a middle power. It is far better for Australia's future to have some form, perhaps, of civilian forces around the country that could deal with any unexpected emergency that may be human but is much more likely to be climatic in this day and age. And the next thing I would do is to put all resources 
into building good relations with our neighbours particularly, but with throughout the world. It's worth noting here that there is already a huge disparity between Department of Defence and Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade funding. According to the 2022-23 budget papers, $48.6 billion was allocated to the Department of Defence, whereas a meagre $6.6 billion was allocated to the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, who would implement such relationship-building projects. So we know that Penny Wong, as a foreign minister who has hitherto been a strong advocate for peaceful negotiation, But of course, she has just been pushed to one side and we now have her thoroughly forward foreign policy and defence policy and AUKUS. A warning, the next section contains discussion around suicide. If you require support, please call Lifeline on 131114 or visit lifeline.org.au. As feminists, we see there are other ways of resolving conflict, both you know, in the family, in the community, in the country and internationally, and that war has never been the answer. You know, if we could look back and say, ah, well, actually, that war, mm, it was was a good thing we had that war. Uh, Otherwise, you know, it would have been disaster. But that's not the case. War creates more problems, many more problems than it solves. Look at what's happening at the moment with the Royal Commission into veteran suicide. So many young people go off wars and adventure, wars heroic, wars doing the right thing for Australia. And they get there and they think, oh, it's not what I thought it was. They see how complex conflict is and that it's not simply a matter of one side winning and the other one losing. It's so much more complex. Opposition to AUKUS has failed to crack into the mainstream. That's despite some rather prominent voices joining the call to scrap the deal. Any criticism of AUKUS is just dismissed even when former Prime Minister, and I know Paul Keating is not always particularly diplomatic in his language, but I mean, you know, he was a great Labour Prime Minister. And you would think that a government that is Labour would at least listen to him and think, hmm, well, maybe, maybe we haven't thought this through. If AUKUS and the nuclear submarines program is to be dismantled, then a broad-based, diverse movement that exposes the many fallacies around AUKUS from a variety of lenses and viewpoints will be required. And whilst that movement is growing, it seems unlikely that the government will overturn the decision to enter into the pact. There is the opportunity of the upcoming Labour conference for such a move, but it does seem unlikely. But the government is hell-bent on going ahead, and you just assume that Richard Miles particularly, and I'm afraid Albo, they feel important. They're playing with the big boys, and the big boys are going to get them into so much trouble, both internationally and all the risks that are possible there, not to mention the risks politically at home when people start to find out that they can't have this budget for education or health 
or road funding or the environment or anything else, because so much of our taxes will be going into a defence at AUKUS. I can't explain it because the opposition is much larger than most people probably realise. I mean, there is a Labour group called Labour Against AUKUS. There are Labour Party branches all over the country passing resolutions of condemning the decision-making. Trade unions are doing the same. Academics, I mean, some 200 academics signed a letter against the direction of the government. This is not just a small, young, peace movement type reaction, although certainly it's the young who will suffer if this goes ahead. The National Union of Students have uh, opposed. Our neighbours have opposed. Pacific Elders held a conference a couple of weeks ago and spoke out against it. So you really wonder what's going on in the heads of at least some members of Cabinet, if not the Defence Minister and the Prime Minister themselves, because it may not be out there in the public as yet, but my word, it's a very strong and influential coalition of many groups of people. And women, I mean, women are are just so opposed to anything that means their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren who are committed not just to all the problems of climate change, which my generation has badly, well, ignored by and large, but they're also going to have to deal with being in wars, that not even wars that we ourselves might think are justified. Throughout that report, we heard snippets from a track called This Is A Place by Combat Wombat. Big fan of their work, so check them out if you haven't already. I want to thank my guest, Margaret Reynolds, the president of the Women's International League of Peace and Freedom today. It was a pleasure talking to her about AUKUS, and I hope you can all check out Wilf at WILPF. .org.au and find out how you can get involved. They are running a crowdfunder at the moment via Chuffed and you can find all those details on their website or by following them on Facebook, Instagram or on Twitter. I also want to thank Crunch and Sunner from Friends of the Earth and all the crew over there for the audio that I received from that AUKUS rally down in Nam, Melbourne that we played a snippet from. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program, and I'm your host, Phil Evans. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support, and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you.
Earth Matters is produced by 3CR, situated on the unceded lands of the Rwandri people. If you would like to get in touch with us, then you can send an email to earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page and contact us there. I hope you can tune in next time for more Earth Matters.